true. <laughs> All right, so say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. And I can be who it says I can be. And I can have what it says I can have. Today, I will be taught the incorruptible, indestructible Word of God. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you for the word today. We just pray, God, that it will fall on the ears and the hearts of good ground. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So, as you can see, I have on my Supergirl cape. I know some of you are a little envious, but it's okay. It's okay. And it's all sparkling and dry. But today I want to talk to you about the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four. And so there's a little superhero in all of us. There's a little superhero in all of us. And so even though it's, you know, Mother's Day, I do believe that the Bible is relevant to every gender, no matter what day it is. Amen? And so if you've ever watched the movie Fantastic Four, anybody ever watched it or read the comic book when you were growing up? Amen. You realize that the Fantastic Four was actually a group of four astronauts, and they went out of space and got into this cosmic encounter, this radiation situation. And radiation normally at that magnitude and level should kill you. But instead of it killing them, it actually gave them superpowers. Uh, It's kind of like us whenever we have a situation that seems like it should devastate us. It should annihilate us. It should count us out for dead. But instead of it causing us to die, or the fact that we made it through, it actually empowered us for the next situation. You may have a, a, a challenge or an unfulfilled desire, maybe a disappointment or, or something you, 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 you want to attain, but it doesn't seem like you can attain. And it can be very challenging and devastating because it seems like it's out of reach. This is kind of the cosmic encounter you're in. It may be a marriage that you're dealing with right now and he walked off. Or a child that you're waiting to come back home. Something that's breaking your heart. Something that's challenging your faith. Something that's stretching your emotions to just find the urge and the unction to say thank you Jesus. That kind of situation that you can be. It can be a financial crisis that you just have just enough. And it seems like it should annihilate you. You know, I remember when I first came Um, to the States, you know, I I graduated from Bible college and I really wanted my degree. And I wanted my degree because everybody in America had their degree. I really didn't want it before I realized that everybody that was around me had their degree. So I wanted my degree and I was pressuring pastor, I need to go back to school, I need to go back to school, and I want to go and I go to school, and you have your degree and I don't have mine. He was like, why do you want your degree? I said, just because everybody has theirs. He said, sweet, you have to have a bigger reason. I said, no, you went to school just because you went to school. I, can, I want my degree because I want it. And you're killing my dreams. You're holding me back. And you know, God bless him. And so I, I remember just feeling so down and devastated and not good enough because I didn't have my degree. And, you know, you know when I went through it, Ended up realizing that I had waited. Uh, Eben had said to me, just wait, just wait. And I was like, no, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. But I waited a couple years. And the experience that I had, he found a university that actually gave me my degree without ever stepping into the classroom. 
because I had already had the experience to do it already, was writing curriculum, I was already beyond the education that they were going to give me. So they gave me my bachelor's, my big certificate, he had it framed and everything, and I never had to sit down and do no any work for it. Look at that. So, you know, if you want to win great, you must have audacious faith. Say it with me. Say, if you want to win great, you must have audacious faith. What is audacious? I was a very audacious child. As pastor asked, who are the bad children in their family? I was the bad child in my family. I am still the only bad child in my family. Out of seven, there's one. And that's me. That is my spot. Nobody else can get that spot. Because, you know, that's just it. I mean, I just was audacious. And audacious means to be unaffected by fear or intimidation. To be unrestrained by existing ideas. It means to be bold, to be unafraid. To be undaunted, to be brazen, to be highly inventive. I was that person that would just go and ask you and just say, and I wasn't just that as a child. I was like that in Bible college. To the degree that I was on probation the entire time I was in Bible college. Like the whole two years minus the first week and the last week. Yes. So, you know, I was always challenging the status quo. I remember when they had this big event and the, um, the, the, the school was trying to get all of the Caribbean students to, you know, were evangelizing and you had to go evangelize in the sun. And in Jamaica, it's muggy, it's hot, it's humid. Here you have a dry heat. There we have a wet heat. So when you're out too long, you just get soaked. I mean, you have to bathe like three times a day in cold water. You don't even use hot water because it's too hot. And so they wanted us to go evangelize. And tell everybody about Jesus. Well, we were there to tell everybody about Jesus. We just were not there to tell everybody about Jesus in stockings and no long sleeve shirt. It was too hot. And so they wanted the boys to wear all these suits and all these ties. It's too hot. This is not America. We are not in North Dakota. And all the missionaries who are not from Jamaica did not understand it's too hot. When you dress up like that, they're going to think we're Mormons or we're Jehovah Witness or we're something else. They are not going to want the Jesus we want because we look hot. And so, you know, I was very brazen because this was actually affecting the boys more than it was affecting the girls. And so I decided to challenge the current thought of the day, which was, why are we wearing a suit in a hundred degree weather. And so I went and, of course, we, were, you know, we created some tension. And so I created all these fake ties. And I wore them to chapel. <laughs> and I, you know, made myself a fake tie. And, you know, that's how I kind of got onto the probation. You know, so all my little guy friends, you know, that I was going for, they, they put on their fake ties and we all went to chapel and they were like, you're making a mockery of the system. I said, no, it's unrealistic. It doesn't make any sense that we're doing this. We're not winning people to the Lord because we're too hot. And so, you know, eventually it changed. I mean, it didn't change right then because I was on probation and I got in trouble and I was in the Dean's office, but you know, I had an audacious idea that we could do more if we had just altered the dress code. It wasn't going to send us to hell if we, if we altered the dress code. We would have actually have more freedom in doing it because we'd be better dressed and more free in doing what we were doing. So I was audacious and, um, you know, I paid dearly for it. But anyway, another time I was going to South Africa 
I felt the Lord had called me to South Africa to do missionary work. And it was in 1994 during the time that Nelson Mandela had just been released from jail, from prison for all those years. And he was being the first election in South African history where black Africans were going to be able to vote. And so I was there when Nelson Mandela was running for president. And when he was running for president, there were bombs in South Africa almost every day. And I felt God was calling me to South Africa, not away from South Africa, because I was audacious. I did not, my dad was saying to me, why would you do that? Why would you try and, and, and kill yourself and put yourself in harm's way? But you know, I knew that it was the will of God for me to go into a hostile environment. So I was audacious enough to use my faith and go into somewhere where people were trying to escape from. And you know, it was one of the best things that I ever did. And, and I'm just saying to you that if you're going to win great, you have to be audacious. You cannot play it safe. You can't play it safe. When you're faced with a very big decision or desire, you can think that you're small or you can think that you're not equivalent or up to the task. You know, David was kind of like that in the Bible. You know, they, they, we had, um, he was just a shepherd boy. He was insignificant. Nobody was really paying him any attention. And uh, the Philistines had come in and invaded Israel. And they were saying, hey, you know, they're seven feet tall. And they're known for being ruthless. And they're known for being a terrorist group. And, and the Israelites were just sitting on their coward. Oh, my gosh. They're too big. They're too strong. It's kind of like that credit application that you've put in. Oh, it's bigger than my credit. And David says, wait, no, I am equal. If God, if this, if this challenge in here is here, I must have what it takes to face off to this challenge. So whatever you're facing is irrelevant to the strength that God has in you. You are already equipped to face that, to overcome it and to go through it. You know, in Numbers 13, 33, Israel was in the wilderness. They were in a very difficult and dry and hard place. Whatever that place is for you. It can be that you, you lost a husband. It could be that you lost a child. It can be that you have someone in the hospital. Whatever that dry place is. The Bible says that they were in there for 40 years. Finally, God says to them, hey, I'm going to take you over to this land called Canaan. And it has milk and honey in it. And so he sends, Moses sends 10 spies to go over and check out the land. They go and they say, oh, it's good. It's great. Man, that's our next level increase. That's our next level in our marriage. That's my next level on my job. It's better than where I am. That's what they saw. And then when they saw it, you know, God said, but you're going to have to face off with the enemy. You're going to have to, to match them up and say, hey, I'm going to take this. I'm not just going to sit down and, uh, and allow it to just come to me. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to be audacious with my faith. And what ended up happening is that, eight, you know, 10 of them came back and said, oh, no. In Numbers 13, 33, they said, oh, no, we were grasshoppers in our own sight. So we became as grasshoppers in their sight. You see, sometimes if you make the circumstance make you feel insignificant and make you feel small and make you feel weak, you're able to stifle your faith. But God is looking for some audacious faith because Caleb and Joshua said, hey, no, they're not too big enough. If God sent us and showed it to us, surely we can do it. Surely we can have it. Surely that next level is attainable and achievable for me. And so you know what? God honored the audacious faith because Caleb and Joshua ended up going to Canaan and the people who backed away did not. So here we are. I've got to let you know that sometimes the most significant lessons come from the most insignificant people. And the most, the most you know, 
smallest things can make the biggest differences. So I have four fantastic heroes in the Bible that I'm going to go through quickly with you to challenge your faith, to encourage you to be audacious in your asking, be audacious in your actions. Just be audacious. Just don't let the status quo hold you anymore. Don't let everything that you've learned just hold you. Let the word of God stretch you. I'm not talking about you being audacious like, Lord, I want that person's husband. No, that, that, no, that is not what we're talking about here. That is just rude. <laughs> when we talk about audacious faith, we're talking about things that line up with the word and with the will and the heart of God. Not with just something that you fleshly want, but God wants you to be healed. God wants you to prosper. God wants your marriage to work. Because in the Malachi, he says, I, the Lord, hate divorce. So it is his will for you to be married. It is not his will for you to to be beaten up in your marriage. But it is his will for you to be married. So here it is that you've got to have audacious faith. Amen? Faith, I have learned that faith not only has a sound, faith has a look. Faith has a look. You know, when when, when you see these celebrities and you go, oh, that's, I want the J-Lo lips. I want a Kim Kardashian here or, you know, whatever it is. They have a look that they've coined. Well, there's a faith look. See, the sound of faith is in our words and in our confession, right? And we know that. We know that when you're operating in faith, you should not say what you don't want. You should say what you do want. And you should say what the word says and what not the word doesn't say, right? We know what faith sounds like. Faith sounds like when I'm sick, I say, you know what, Lord, by your stripes I am healed. Faith sounds like when I'm, I'm struggling financially, I say, Lord, because I'm a tither and a giver, you should open up the windows of heaven for me and pour out a blessing. Father, you know, that's what faith sounds like. But what would this faith look like? Faith has a look because James 2.18 says, I will show you my faith by my works. Faith has a look. This is what faith looks like. So what does audacious faith look like? First, let's go to Matthew 20. Go to Matthew 20 real quick for me. Matthew 20. And we are going to look at 20 to 23. So here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Matthew 20, 20 to 23. I am going to talk to you about my first superhero. And uh, her two boys were called the Sons of Thunder. But we are just going to call her Thunder Girl. You know, Mrs. Z. You know, and she, well, well, some of the things that we do know about her is this. One, she was a church girl. She was a church girl. So those of you who don't know that, you know, Jesus had some church girls. Here's a church girl. Because... The Bible says that she came up to him and made a request. He was that accessible to her. And the Bible says she was the mother of these two boys. So he, she was known to Jesus. She couldn't have been known to Jesus if she wasn't a disciple of Jesus. If she wasn't moving with the crowd with Jesus. And she couldn't have just come up on him like that if she didn't feel comfortable enough because she wasn't around him. See, sometimes we don't ask God anything because we haven't been around him. Sometimes we know we haven't really been disciples. We know we're not really following. So it's kind of hard to come boldly before the throne of grace in a time of need and asking for something because we go, God, we've been dipping and slipping and sliding, God. And so I don't know if you're going to give me. But it's so good that like Pastor said last week, there is an amazing grace that even if you're not perfect, you can ask God for something. So here she comes and here, 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 here's her, her audacious set. So 
She says um, here in verse 23, Matthew 20, 20 to 23. All right. So she says here, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, what do you want? And she said unto him, give me that my two sons may sit, the one on the right and the one on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you know what you're asking? Are you able to drink of the cup that I should drink of and be baptized with the baptized, I'm, I'm baptized with? They said, we are able. And then he talks to them further. The verse 24. And when the 10, the 10, there's always going to be a 10. When you decide to be audacious, just like there were the 10 in, um, um, in Canaan, when they were going over, the 10 spies decided, can't do this. There's always a 10. But you don't have to be a part of the 10. And so the 10 did what? They heard it. How can they heard it? It's so nosy. Sometimes people just all up in your stuff. They're nosy. They were moved with indignation against the two brethren. When you are walking in audacious faith, people always say, who do you think you are? Who do you think that you are? When you can go, go beyond just irritating people to just evoking indignation. You're audacious. You know, I remember when we were in Bible college and, and Pastor Eben, you know, he came to Bible college and, I mean, he was just the coolest. I'm telling you. He was like, he was so hot. I'm telling you. He was the only person that wore a suit to the Bible school. I mean, like every day. I, I, I explained to you that it was hot, right? Okay. He, he didn't absorb that lesson. So he would wear these olive green suits and his back crack ties and his Ray-Ban shades and he had his Louis Vuitton luggage. Man was cold, man. I'm telling you. And so, you know, no matter where he would go, he was like super fly. So they put him in the detail. I don't know if they were trying to humble him or what, but they put him in the um, housekeeping department. <laughs> they put him in a housekeeping department and he was supposed to, you know, he had to mop floors and he had to fold sheets and he had to do laundry and he was doing all that, right? And I remember walking, I was just his friend right in because he had vowed he would never marry somebody as loud as me. Ta-da! But anyway, <laughs> at least I knew he caught my attention. <laughs> but anyway, so I walked into the chapel one day and he was cleaning. And I am promise you, the Lord knows. Pastor Evan, he had his um, uh, jukebox, boombox um, stereo, and he was playing all this Take Six music and, you know, Fred Hammond's, uh, the group that the Fred Hammond commissioned, and he was just jamming to the music, and he had on some long shorts, and they were starched. I mean, starched. <laughs> with the line down, and he had his polo shirt tucked in with his brown belt on it, on a red polo shirt tucked in. I mean, and he had his sneakers and everything. And he was listening to the music and he was jamming. And he took forever to clean that chapel. I mean, I left him, I came back. I left him, I came back. And he was still in there. And I said to him, I said, what are you doing? Why are you taking so long? It does not take this long. And he said, I want it to shine. I want it to smile back at me. I want to see myself in it. And I thought, he is weird. This American is a little weirdo. And, you know, I did not really understand what he was saying until later as we got into a friendship. That everything he did, he did it audaciously. When he served, he served. 
When he, it's like he knew that his future was going to be bigger and he had to start sowing seeds of great service now for something greater then. I mean, in two hours, chapel was going to happen and we would all mess up the floor. And he said to me, I remember saying to him, you know, everybody's going to come in here and it's going to be messed up. So you're not going to see yourself. And he said, but God sees me and I do this for God. I don't do this for anybody else. And I thought, what an amazing person. To care about something so small, but be so audacious in their service. It is no surprise to me why God would honor him. It's no mystery to me why God would elevate him. It doesn't confuse me why God has favor on him. It, it doesn't, I, because everything he does is audacious. Everything he does. And so it was the same thing with this lady. She was audacious in her asking. Then we have the second person. So the first thing, sign, when you look at faith, faith has boldness. Boldness in your serving, boldness in your asking, just boldness. That is what audacious is. That's what audacious faith looks like. The next thing is I have the invisible woman. If you would turn with me, Matthew 15, just go a couple of pages back. Matthew 15. Now, this lady here, she didn't even have a name. She didn't even have a name. Sometimes people don't even know you. They don't even know who you are. They're not even paying attention to you. You know, you're serving, you're giving, you're doing your on your job, and nobody seems to be noticing you. But you know, it's not about if other people notice you. It's about if Jesus notices you. Because if Jesus notices you, he can elevate you beyond what a man could ever do. He can move the person who is not noticing you and put you in front of somebody great. So here is this nameless woman. A, she's a Canaanite. So she is an enemy of the Israelites. That's the first thing. And she approaches Jesus, who is supposed to be her enemy. Ethnic-wise. And then she, she comes here, and it, let's go into verse, um, verse 28. So this Canaanite woman, she had, it says, and Jesus departed from thence. Ah, da, 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 da. I am in the wrong scripture. Matthew 15, 28. 23. Thank you, Miss Ramona. All right. So here we go. She comes and she's asking him as a Canaanite woman. And Jesus went then, verse 21, and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. You ever had a problem that was public? She had a possessed daughter. When people were possessed in those days, they were possessed. They, they weren't cute possessed like they're cute now. See, right now they're on Prozac. So you can hide up your possession with a little medication. They didn't have Prozac back then. When you were possessed, you were full-blown possessed. The whole world knew you were possessed. You may be crawling up on the wall. You may roll on the floor. You were not, you were not able to integrate into society. And so she had a problem that was public. She's a woman, that's the first thing, so she's not valued much. Then she's a Canaanite, she's an enemy. And so she comes to Jesus on behalf of her daughter because she has audacious faith for her family. She has audacious faith for her, for her daughter, right? She wants her daughter to be well. And though she had no name, the Bible says here that uh, Jesus goes to her and she says, he answered unto her, not a word. And the disciples came and said, hey, send her away, man. She's just harassing us. You ever had people just dismiss you? And so here at verse 24, and he said, I'm not sent to you. 
I'm sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And she said and worshipped him and she said, Lord, help me. So even though he already didn't answer her, he ignored her. Then he, in Jamaica we call it, he gave him buffer. I mean, he just insulted her. He just ignored her, right? He desists a second time. He's rejecting her. He, she says, I, I'm not here for you. And then she came worshiping. And then he said, it's not right. This is the third time. He said, it's not right for me to do this for you. I'm not called to you. Third rejection. And then she decides that I am going to be audacious. And I'm going to negotiate this car deal even though I'm a woman. I'm going to negotiate this job promotion even though you slated it for somebody else. I am going to be bold enough and say, hey. You don't have to give me the whole thing, but give me the crumbs. I'll take what you give. And Jesus says, you are of great faith. She didn't have no name, but was significant to Jesus enough because of her audacity. And this is where commitment comes in. She was committed, regardless of the offense, regardless of, 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 of the, the, the rejection, over and over. You couldn't stop her from getting what she needed for her daughter. You couldn't stop her. So you don't let somebody who didn't say hi to you at church today, let that one offense just pull you out the kingdom. You don't let an, a, um, a disappointment pull you out the kingdom. You don't let those kind of things back you off of what you know God has for you. I mean, when we were in Bible college, I promise you, uh, we were under so much persecution, especially Pastor Eben. Because after a while, there became a lot of envies and jealousies that came about him. And they started, there was things that were deliberately done to frustrate him. And not once did I see him not give his best. Not once did he back down. Not once did he not take advantage of the opportunity because he knew that where he was wasn't the end and all. So he didn't let a few offenses and a few tricks just, just, just trip him up. And you can't do that either because where you are is not as big as where you need to be. And if you faint in this time, the Bible says that our strength is small. But these little things, these little challenges are building you up and building your stamina. Because trust me, some of the persecution he gets now, pay up. Bible school was like this. But he is strong enough to say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to still be audacious. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, I'm going to do it. And so her thing was, this is what she was committed. She was committed. The third person, and I'm just going to tell you about them, is Abigail. Abigail, she was married to a fool. I mean, literally, his name was Nabal, and he was, his name means fool. Some people are, well, I won't even go down that road, but praise the Lord. Some people are married to the intelligently challenged. <laughs> and so here it is that David came in and was going to take over the whole um, city, and Abigail, you know, he came in and asked for some hospitality. And her, her husband said, all the servants are gone. I'm not doing that. I don't have time. I'm not going to do all of that stuff. So David says, I'm going to kill everybody. Abigail says, no. And she comes and brings gifts and food and all this kind of stuff and gives it to David and says, oh, David, don't mind my husband. He don't have no sense anyway. Don't worry about it. She's a woman. You don't approach the anointed king without being summonsed. She broke the cultural barrier. And you will not be audacious as long as you're trying to please people. You will not be audacious as long as you're trying to get the approval of your peers and not the applause of your God. You will not be audacious until you step over from mediocre into great. Until you step over into, from ordinary into extraordinary. You have got to break the barriers. You see, I mean, like I said, when I look at Pastor Evan, nobody had ever served while I was there with that kind of excellence. They didn't take it nearly as serious as what he was doing. 
And so when, when, when he gave, he gave beyond. And that's something he taught me. He said, always give more than you're asked for and deliver better than you were expected. And that is something we teach our daughter. If you're not going to give 100%, you don't give it. And I tell you, that level of excellence always catches the attention of God. And it always attack, attaches the, um, gets the attention of men. And so she was a sacrificing person. So when you look at faith, faith is bold. Faith has commitment and faith makes sacrifice. When you are believing God for something big in your life, it's going to cost you. When we were believing God for Landon, it cost me. It cost me my emotions because they kept going up and down all over the place. I mean, I would look at Eben and I would cry. I'm telling you, real tears. These weren't even alligator tears. These were like real tears of devastation and distress. And I would say, babe, you're not pregnant yet. And he would say, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm only moved by what I believe. And I'd be like, it's because it's not you. It's not you. It's not your body. And he's like, but I want the baby too. And so I thought he was an understanding, and he was, but he would not move off of his faith confession. Uh, you know, he said, Abraham did not stagger at the promise. I will not stagger. And so no matter what it was, he stayed faithful. And we sacrificed. We gave financially. We gave to other people who had children. We started just celebrating that. And then you know what? It happened for us. The last person. So we had um, boldness. You had Thunder Girl. You had a commitment. It was an invisible woman. You had sacrifice. Abigail, she was a fantastic girl. And then you had my girl right here. This is a power girl. And her name is Rispa. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Rispa. But Rispa was a concubine. That means she um, was on the upper levels of, she was like, a concubine was like a second wife, a third wife. They weren't the, the main wife, all right? And so she had all these sons. And when Saul, she was married to Saul, well, she was a concubine of Saul. And when Saul came off the scene, everybody came to kill off his kids because that's just what you did. When the new king came in, they just annihilated the old king's family. Well, they killed all her sons. And she had all these sons. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 21, 8, that's the whole story. That when she, she, she grieved and she cried and they hung the sons up on these stakes because they were supposed to be an example and they were going to rot, make them rot. And they said that for six months, Rispa stayed outside and she fended off the beasts and the birds. And she said they were not going to attack her children because she said, even though I am a concubine, even though I don't have a whole lot of status, even though I don't have a whole lot of things, what I do know is that these kids are king's kids. And because they're king's kids, they deserve a king's burial. And I am not going to settle for how you're treating me. And I am not going to settle for how you're treating my kids. I am going to stand here and I will be their advocate. And I'm going to be audacious in asking something that has never been done before. It doesn't record anywhere in the Bible that a proper burial was given to any other pre-existing king's kids. She created history. She was a pioneer because she was going to fight for something that was not normal. She was going for something extraordinary. And so I want to challenge you today. What is that audacious request that you have? What is that big thing that you need? 
Is it for your husband to come home? Is it, is it for, your, for, for your diabetes to go? Is it for your, your, your purpose to be clear? What is that thing that gnaws at you, that frustrates you, that irritates you, that aggravates you? You just seem to, to, to be coming under instead of over. What audacious thing you got to go ask God? You see, some of us have just been, been um, beaten down by these circumstances. But I'm here to challenge you today to have your audacious faith. To say no. I am going to be that superhero in my own life and go to the word of God and ask him. I'm going to take a minute and make a bold request. You have to know what you should be fighting for. What are you going to put your faith towards? What are you going to be bold about? What are you going to strengthen your commitment towards? You see, if I was being audacious and I wanted my marriage to work, I would do whatever it takes because it's never wrong doing the right thing. Pastor Eben always says it's never wrong doing the right thing. Even if the person leaves. Let me tell you, this is what I do advise women when they're going through. Regardless of what he's doing, it is your responsibility to honor God. Now, again, this is saving that if he's beating you half to death. If he's beating you half to death, you call 911. And then you set up an escape plan. You call 911. But if he's not beating you half to death and all that, it's, it's a matter of, of he's not talking to you right or she's not talking to you right. What you do is you honor the Lord with your responsibilities. And if they choose to walk, you know you have credibility before God. But if you participate in the foolishness and you participate in the sin, then you make yourself open for correction by, by God too. So why not just do the audacious thing? Everybody's saying, girl, I wouldn't stay in that. If it was me, I'd have been gone a long time ago. Nobody's going to treat me as no fool. Why are you trying to please them anyway? You're not trying to please people who are miserable. You're trying to please God. Do the audacious thing. Serve and serve well. You know, no matter what anybody says, do the audacious thing and be committed. Do the audacious thing and be bold. Come up with inventive ideas. Do the audacious thing and defend and, 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 and just be strong in what you're doing. And so I just want to just say to you that in order for you to be great, you must operate in audacious faith. You cannot get great doing average. You cannot get more doing less. You cannot go to the next level camping out on this level. It just doesn't make sense logically. So many of us are praying for things, but we have not changed our faith actions. Our faith actions are still saying to God, keep me on this level. We want financial increase, but we don't do anything financially different. We give the same or less than we were doing before. So then that's a sign to the Lord, hey, you, need, you don't want to be on this level. You want to actually go down. Because faith has a look. Faith has actions behind it. So whatever bold thing you're believing God for, make a bold commitment. Make a bold action. Do something different. Amen? Amen. All right. Amen. So if you would, with every head closed, bowed, and every eye closed, you know, somebody...